I'm Christy Hemingway, host of Ed Curation, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, do you like awesome rings? Do you need a ring to replace one that you lost ages ago? Or do you need a new wedding band because yours is no longer fixable? Well, (laughs) I have this cool sponsor, Boone Titanium Rings. They can be found at boonrings.com. They make their rings from titanium, and you can get the rings carved, engraved, inlaid, laser cut. There's even special collections like the Hunter Series or the Gamer Rings or the Black Zirconium. Very cool. They have models that have meteorite, wood, or other inlays. Check out boonrings.com. And at checkout, use the code for my podcast. It's capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, and the number 12. T-L-L-K-12. And you will get 10% off the total. And you will help this podcast out. Thanks so much. I love my ring. And I know you will love yours. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Mickey Revenaw, the co-founder of Connections Academy, a global provider of K-12 online learning that's part of Pearson, and it was founded in 2001. So much to learn today. Thanks for listening. And by the way, it'd be so cool if you could rate and review the podcast. Could you do that for me? You can do it through your app on your phone, or you could go to the website, or you go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews, and uh, do it that way. That would be so cool. Thanks for thinking about it. Thanks for doing it. And oh, by the way, enjoy the show. It's the education podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests, and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Maletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12, teaching, learning, leading, K-12, ah, ah, with Dotsty Maletto. Mickey Revenaw is co-founder of Connections Academy, a pioneering global provider of K-12 online learning that was founded in 2001 and now serves more than 100,000 students around the world as part of Pearson. Mickey's current work at Pearson is focused on bringing innovative education opportunities, including those harnessing big data, artificial intelligence, and immersive technologies to learners around the globe. Mickey is board vice chair of Inacall. And do I say it or do I just spell it? (laughs) I should have asked that question. Actually, the organization has changed its name. It's now the Aurora Institute, so that makes it a lot easier. Nice. It sure does. (laughs) Uh, So there we go. Mickey is board vice chair of, and you said the Aurora Institute, right? Aurora Institute. And honestly, I'm not board vice chair anymore. You can just say on the board of the Aurora Institute. Okay. That would probably cover it. Mickey is on the board of the uh, Aurora Institute, the International Association for K-12 Online Learning, and board chair of Brooklyn Laboratory Charter School, winner of the 10 million... Did you? So is that one? Are you board chair for that one? <laughs> so, I am. Okay, that one's cool. Correct. All right. <laughs> and board chair of Brooklyn Laboratory Charter School, winner of the $10 million prize for innovative school design from XQ Institute. Previously, Mickey l- helped launch the E-Rate to wire every American school to the internet and was education technology editor at Scholastic. Mickey has degrees from Yale University, New York University, and Bennington College. Mickey, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Well, glad you're here. And I got to ask you, I mean, after more than 20 years since founding Connections Academy, you'll be retiring at the end of this year. For those at home not familiar with Connections Academy, can you give us an overview of the schools and your role over the last 20 years? Sure. So uh, Connections Academy was founded way, 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 way back before online learning was something that most people were familiar with um, back in 2001. And the idea was how do we take technology, which I'd worked on throughout my uh, education career and put it together with this new idea of school choice that was beginning to emerge um, in the charter school sector and other kinds of school choice to give every student everywhere within a state the opportunity to choose a really high quality online learning experience, regardless of where they might live. Um, And so um, we started this with the idea that technology ought to be the great equalizer and the great creator of access um, for all students um, to the kinds of things that their local um, brick and mortar schools might not offer, as well as to a community of uh, like-minded learners all, all around the globe. So that was what the wild hair that we started with back in 2001 and really have built on that ever since then by um, you know, building and developing a really robust online curriculum that students can access in real time on their own and under the supervision of teachers, um, as well as training multiple generations of online teachers to be fantastic, even better than in some cases what they were in their brick and mortar classrooms. We hear from teachers all the time that they actually get to know their students a little bit better in these online schools than they were able to do in their brick and mortar schools. Um, And then to build around that, the idea of a real school community, um, places where students can um, interact and engage in extracurricular activities, everything from the chess club and debate club um, to uh, exploring um, esports gaming and competing against other schools around the country. So it's been a long 20 years, but a really fast one um, as we've figured out how to take the best of what American education could be and bring that online for students. That is excellent. And just a note, it's kind of cool because I think a lot of people think that, uh, you know, online learning, it's all recent because of a certain little uh, virus problem we had. Small and- little pandemic we went through. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. And we always say we were doing online learning before online learning. And I hate to use the word cool, but was, you know, uh, endemic um, to every family in America. We've been working on it for almost 20 years at that point and hopefully brought something to the table that was more than just putting teachers on Zoom. That's, that's really cool. That's, you know, uh, you really helped shape what we understand today about education technology. I mean, how's it feel to be known as an ed tech pioneer? And I, I got to say this real quick before I say anything else. What's, what's wild is you made me think about, um, because somewhere around 2000, between 2005, 2007, that's when I was discovering something called podcasting. Right. <laughs> so. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and each of these things that have now become just commonplace, part of our everyday environment. Um, At one point was a really weird idea that everybody thought was terrible. Um, So the idea of like somebody's voice booming to you from, you know, across the airwaves outside of a scheduled radio program is like, who would want that? Well, it turns out millions of people want that, right? Um, But the same thing is true for education technology. Um, I am really fortunate that I'm old enough to remember the very, very, very first computers that were in classrooms. Um, And my job back then, this was before Connections Academy, um, was editing a magazine for elementary school teachers that were the earliest, early adopters of education technology. And these were the mostly women of a certain age 
um, who would haul an Apple computer or an IBM computer or Radio Shack computer back in the day into their classroom and through a combination of grit, perseverance, and just uh, wild-eyed optimism, type a basic program in and watch a you know, tree bloom on the screen or allow their students to play some sort of an online game. Um, and back then it was just the wow factor of technology and what it could bring to what up to that point was a print-based and voice-based learning experience for most students, how much that has changed. You know, the internet, which connected classrooms and schools together to something much, much larger than themselves. And then the idea of online learning, which took advantage of both of those things to bring really great teachers um, right to right into the living rooms of students everywhere across the country. It's so awesome because you make me think about all kinds of, you know, um, uh, just, I forget, just a couple of years ago, there was a, one of those Marvel movies that came out and uh, the, the character goes back in time and comes out in a time frame in which uh, they, they, they crash through the, the wall of a, uh, I think it was a blockbuster video or something like that. And uh, there's a computer there. It needs to access the computer. And so the computer, they had it making the, you know, the, the noise of the modem. And the character's like, why, what's it doing? What's it making that noise? What's taking so long? And it's like, yeah, I remember those days. Yeah. I'm going to go over here and do this for a little bit while we did that. Yeah, really. I'll go do my laundry while I'm waiting for this to process, you know? And so you think about those early early pioneers of education technology. And I mean, there were definitely geniuses writing computer software. I mean, whoever came up with Oregon Trail, um, you know, deserves a Nobel Peace Prize in terms of really engaging students in learning. But even before that, there were educators who thought, this machine ought to help me personalize learning for my kids. It ought to be able to do that. It ought to be able to make me and my skills and talents available more broadly to the students that I serve so that it's not just the kid who captures my attention that moment in the classroom, but all of my students who are able to get a really deep and robust learning experience. And their vision um, for what could be at some point in the future is really what drove the development of Connections Academy and what really has now created uh, online learning ecosystem within the United States is serving probably more than uh, a million students full-time and multiple millions part-time before the pandemic and now even more so since the pandemic. Yeah, it's, it is wild because, you know, you talk about the, its role that it's played in uh, uh, your, the Connections Academy has played in uh, um, getting technology in the hands of everybody and um, you know, not just the, the select few who can figure it out and, uh, and not just the few who can, you know, afford some of the stuff or work for an environment in which they can do, you know, make, make it work. Because <laughs> um, right. it's, it's come a long ways. I mean, guys, I, I remember very well the, you know, the, pretty much the computer, except for those people who, who knew what to do with it, it was still in, you know, sci-fi and stuff like that for right. most of us. Right, right, exactly. Well, and... One of the really exciting things about Connections Academy, so we have this role that we call the learning coach. So you imagine students are going to school, mostly from home, but really wherever they get an internet connection and want to do their schoolwork. Um, And then we have great teachers online working with them. We have this wonderful content and curriculum, but there's a really important role that the family plays as well. And we have this role called the learning coach, um, which is often a parent, but not always. Sometimes it's a grandparent. Um, just as we know that there are many grandparents that are raising kids um, and, and really supervising their education. 
often we would have a learning coach who was a grandparent who was by far not a technology, a digital native. You know, this was all new to them. And they learned how to get the most out of technology because they were really motivated to get the best for their, for their grandkids, for their learners. Um, and so we like to take credit for not just putting technology in the hands of students and improving access by students, but actually access by families all over the country that would not, would have been left behind um, by the digital revolution and um, suddenly found this was a way that their student could get the best education possible. That's so powerful because I, I just had to I had to say this. It's it's funny because you made me think about this commercial that was it's, it's it was prior to the pandemic when it uh, came out, but it was out at the holiday time and it was about uh, the family going to grandma and grandpa's and the kids going, oh, they don't have Wi Fi. <laughs> 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 Sorry, you just made me think about that. Well, as somebody said to me recently, Wi-Fi is life. You know, if we think that water is life in the 21st century, Wi-Fi is life. And so, it is. Um, you know, it's really important. And one of the things the pandemic showed all of us was that that digital divide that we tried to address with the E-rate program that has been sort of chipped away over the last 20 years is still very much alive. Um, and so if you're a student in certain rural communities in the United States, if you're a student in a certain core urban communities in the United States, you may not have Wi-Fi or reliable Wi-Fi in your home. And you, if you do, you may not have a device that can access it. And so there's still quite a bit of road to go before we can truly say um, that technology is ubiquitously available to young people everywhere and that we're using it the very best way that we can um, to educate them. Yeah, you're so right. I in During the pandemic, I worked in uh, with systems that had to put... Uh, um, you know, some of these companies created uh, um, portable Wi-Fi that they put on school buses. Hot spots, yep, yeah, so they exactly. drove them. They, they drove the school bus to these churches because they had a big enough parking lot, and they parked them on on that uh, campus there. And then uh, that way, people could come up and connect to the Wi-Fi that way. And you know, it is pretty, it is pretty amazing that uh, you know, in this day and time that we're still dealing with trying to figure out how to expand that uh, connectivity. So right, right. Well, and as uh, the early technology pioneers would tell you um, usage drives access. Um, and so if there's a really good use of technology, getting access to the wires and, and pipes becomes a lot easier because there's a, a, a reason that to convince policymakers to invest, convince school districts to invest. If it's just for the sake of having access, then it starts falling by the wayside a bit. And um, so we really passionately believe that education um, is um, the primary driver of what hopefully will one day, someday soon be universal access by everyone to the internet. That's awesome. I, so let's talk a little bit about this. I mean, how can we improve emergency online programs and deliver online learnings promise in those ways? What do, what do you think about that? Well, what did we learn a lot during the pandemic, right? And yes. every school district that um, went overnight, I mean, literally overnight, as you remember, it's like on Monday, you were, you know, face to face with your students in the classroom. And on Tuesday, you were supposed to be online with them. And most teachers had never really been trained on how to teach online. Most school districts had no idea what to do other than get a Zoom account, you know, and hope for the best. Um, and so, a few of the things that I think became really crystal clear uh, during the pandemic that I believe we are learning from and can build on. One is that 
the best value of a teacher is not as the deliverer of content. Um, so we still have still lots of classrooms across the country and around the world where the sage on the stage is really the model that prevails. Um, the teacher is the holder of all knowledge and deliverer of knowledge to students um, and students sit and get. Um, when you do that in person, that's pretty bad. When you do it online, it is horrible. Um, that's why you had so many students disengaging and checking out and so many teachers feeling so burnt out because they literally had to be performing all the time. Um, we know that there's a higher value that teachers can bring. And that higher value really is personalizing learning for every student, taking content uh, taking um, access and, and engagement, um, taking assessment and putting all of that together for the individual student. And that does not require you to be standing in front of a Zoom camera lecturing all day long. In fact, if you're doing that, we're probably not tapping into your highest value as a teacher. Um, so the role of the teacher and how what tools and resources they need to fulfill that highest value is something that became glaringly obvious during the pandemic. Um, I think the other thing that became really obvious is that um, passive learning sucks. I think that's a technical term, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Thank you, that, right. <laughs> um, that sitting and just sitting and listening, sitting and listening and taking notes, um, being a passive recipient of, of learning is not the best way for most students to learn. They really need to be actively engaged. Um, online can absolutely facilitate that, but you have to be kind of intentional about it. You have to have activities that they're doing that they're actually actively involved with. They have to be engaging with their classmates. They have to have discussions. They have to do projects. They have to do uh, flipped learning, you know, do a bunch of work, you know, away from the live classroom, bring it back to the live classroom and then present what it is that you know. Whenever we saw engaged learning, active learning in the online learning space, we saw happier students, happier teachers and better outcomes. Whenever it was the worst of, face-to-face -face classrooms just translated to emergency online space, you got worse results. And I don't think any of us should be surprised about that. Um, what I'm really hopeful about is that the uh, front row seat that so many families had to what their kids' day-to-day -day learning life was like will drive changes in regular classrooms to be much more engaged um, to have their students play a much more active role in their own learning, to use technology tools really smartly, um, as opposed to the dreariness of, um, you know, teacher lecture um, and not um, opportunities for students to bring their own voice and choice to the process. That's cool. I, I got to tell you this, because one of the things I'm thinking about right now is, uh, something that happened as a result of having to learn how to work with kids and engaging them is that, uh, cause one of the things they had to, <laughs> they had to deal with is not something that ever had a, occurred to people, which is the ability to shut off the teacher, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is you put up the, the, the black screen and, uh, and as your name and, uh, you know, hello, you know, are you there? And, you know, it's funny, I, in elementary school, I was a good kid, but uh, sometimes you did some boneheaded things. And I'll never forget one kid, the teacher was uh, not happy with one of my friends and, uh, you know, giving him uh, some good uh, <laughs> words of wisdom to live by was a little bit, yeah, yes, and I, I put my hands over my ears, all right, and <laughs> which brought his attention to me. <laughs> 
And it's like, double. And so uh, that was not a fun afternoon for me. But, you know, today, if I did, if wanted to do that, I just shut off <laughs> the, right. the screen. And that was that was a lot to deal with right there as a teacher. It's like, ooh. Well, and really understanding, like, if your kids have their cameras off, for example, why was that? Was it because they didn't have a computer with a camera? Was it because where they were living, they didn't really want anybody to see? Um, was it because they were bored and were really playing games on another screen? Was it because they were not feeling well? There's a million reasons why a student might do the equivalent of putting a bag over their head in a classroom and have their camera off. Um, and teachers needed to figure out ways to find that out um, and draw students in. Doesn't mean that everybody had to be on camera all the time. We actually serve quite a few students that have school anxiety disorder, social anxiety, um, you know, uh, find just the stimuli of having lots of faces on all the time is a little too much for them. And so they can get permission from their teacher to have their cameras off in a live lesson session. Um, but it needs to be for a reason and it needs to not just be so that you can do something else in the background or not pay attention. And that also means that teachers need to make sure that what they're doing is attention worthy um, and that they're not just um, kind of, you know, kids don't have to have their cameras on and their eyes forward all the time because an adult says so kind of need to earn their attention, especially these days. And that that's a lot of pressure for teachers, but when you do it, it's sweet. Oh, you got that right. You got that right. And it's just such a powerful thing too, though, to be mm -hmm. able to, you know, it's like, wow, you know, as a, as a kid, I got to tell you, I wish I had that power, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's almost like the cloak of invisibility, right? <laughs> exactly. You can't see me. <laughs> nice. I like that. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm glad we got to figure out how to, how to kind of, it's, it's still something that we're struggling to get through. It's like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, in our online schools, I think we've stepped up our game a lot around what we're doing with our synchronous time with teachers um, because, you know, previous to the pandemic, our model at Connections Academy was, you know, probably um, 60 to 80% asynchronous instruction. So students engaging with content directly and about 20 to 30% synchronous, which might be a live lesson. It might be a one-on-one -on -one conference with the teacher. Um, we have seen that um, students and parents hunger for more synchronous time um, from their teachers. That doesn't mean more lecture time. That means more engagement, more attention. Um, and so how does a teacher spend their time to make sure that they're maximizing their ability to do that one-on-one -on -one with students or one-on small group and not be spending all of their time doing either administrative stuff or lecturing? Um, and that's very much a work in progress, either for online schools or frankly for brick and mortar classrooms as well. Yeah, it's really interesting how, um, you know, I don't know if it's like the timing of things or, or what, but I mean, uh, you know, how online learning came back around as something as a possibility. Now, I mean, there's, there, there are some believers in it today that are like, uh, you know, it's, if we can just figure out how to do this right, this is, yeah, there's, there, there's some that seen it, seen it as a way to even save on budget money because they don't have to hire all the adults. And I think that's bad thinking, but at the same time. It is bad, it is bad thinking. It is bad thinking. But definitely having adults in different roles, then, then you need to have them in a brick-and-mortar school where an awful lot of the adults' time in brick-and-mortar is custodial. And I don't mean the guy sweeping the, the hallways. I mean um, 
uh, babysitting, essentially, um, managing young bodies and making sure that they're not in harm's way. Um, the size of the classroom is kind of set up around what's the maximum number of kids that an adult can supervise. The width of the hallways, every single thing about a brick and mortar school is sort of based around um, the factory flow of bodies through the space. Um, and that's not necessarily leveraging the best value that adults could bring. Um, you know, where where might we be able to fit in small group instruction led by, um, you know, college students or recent college students who are aspiring to a teaching career but aren't there yet? Um, you know, what role can parents play in a much more direct way? Um, does the teacher have to do everything in a, in a classroom or can some of those things either be handled by the technology, like certain amount of grading, a certain amount of attendance taking, that kind of thing, um, or by other adults that have a much broader caseload and aren't subject area experts. So shaking up the, uh, what, is it, what do grownups do in a school um, is definitely part of what online learning does. We have not really seen any place where it literally makes education cheaper um, because when you make education cheaper, you get the results that you would expect, um, which is, you know, you're not investing. Um, but it absolutely can make it more efficient and get a bigger bang for the buck um, if you're really smart about how you're using your most highly qualified adults. It's it's so powerful because it, it creates what we're talking about. You know, if if you don't get stuck in one delivery model, you, you can start seeing different ways that it, it can be um, powerful, beneficial, and uh, the tool that can help with so much type of learning to, uh, um, to you know, kind of get get you through the the only certain populations can have access to or something right, like that. Right, right, so. right. Well, and one of the things that's been very eye-opening, really from the very beginning, and way back when we said, like, who would want an online school? And we thought, well, homeschoolers might. Well, it turns out some homeschoolers did. Many homeschoolers said, no, thank you very much. We are off the public school grid for a reason and want to stay that way. Um, but then there's the whole variety of kids who just learn a little bit differently. Um, and that could be that they're ready to move faster than their peers or slower or faster in some things, slower in some things. Kids with ADD, kids, second graders who can do calculus, kids who are training for the Olympics, kids who are Broadway stars, you name it. And any of the square pegs that don't fit into the round hole of the traditional brick and mortar 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. school um, can benefit from online learning. And it turns out there's a lot more of those kids out there than originally met the eye. Um, and I think more and more parents are tuned to the fact that their kids, every single kid learns a little bit uniquely and that there might be an online learning or blended learning approach that suits their needs really, really well, rather than saying, here's your one model, show up at 7 a.m., sit in the seat, face forward, and you know, after 13 years, you'll be educated. Doesn't work that way anymore. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing, some of these tools that we have at our disposal now. And we, if, you know, we have to just have to be willing to access and be willing to be creative with the way we use them. I like it. So, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I've heard you um, say is that personalized learning supports new socialization. What do you mean by that? 
One of the things that we learned early on, um, because the concern that that all families have and that all policymakers have around online learning is what they what people call socialization. So what they really mean is having kids with other kids um, and learning how to get along with people who are different from you, learning how to you know, work on things together. Um, and people were very, very concerned that students learning in an online environment would miss out on socialization. We learned very early on that, in fact, the opposite was true because our kids in our online schools got two really rich flavors of socialization in every day. One of them was engagement with like-minded students from all over a state or in some cases all over the country or all around the world that were interested in the same kinds of things that they were. Um, and so our clubs and activities, I, I joked before about chess club. We have chess tournaments that are involving students from all over the world finding each other through our chess clubs and, and engaging with each other. Those students would never meet each other face-to-face. -face. They're multiple thousands of miles apart from each other. Um, and so they're learning a kind of socialization that they take to kind of like ducks to water, by the way, because, you know, this generation of young people online is where they live. Online is where they do most of their own socialization, given their, their own druthers. And so making that super constructive um, and building it around the kinds of skills that we know they're going to need in the outside world was really important. And then the other thing that we discovered is that having an online school day actually freed up time for students to do things that they were absolutely passionate about that could only be done face-to-face. -face. So kids who are involved with theater groups in their local community, students who were involved in service projects um, that they needed to be hands-on with, any student who was pursuing an elite sport um, found that this online learning allowed them to do school really well and pursue their passion and not have to pick one over the other. Um, and so that kind of um, uh, new socialization is means socialization opportunities and socialization tools that are custom built for this generation of young people and allow them to make the most of their social and emotional development and just their friends, their friends group. You graduate from one of our schools, you suddenly have friends all around your state and all around the country. And you, if you ever meet them in person, it's like you've known each other for years um, because you have. It's so cool. Cause just as a note, so let's go back to podcasting for a minute. Yeah. I mean, I've met, I mean, we're, we're talking, we're not around the corner. We're just uh, a little ways away from each other. I've met people across the world and uh, um, I've had to try and coordinate podcast interviews where I'm up at midnight and wherever they are, it's, it's morning or it's sometime reasonable in the daytime. And uh, you know, that's the coolest thing because we may never meet other than through the, the, the video on the on the camera here but the uh um but it's neat that you can connect this way and and with your schooling that's so you know education and as you grow and what you learn and so forth connecting with people that way is uh it, it at least it breaks down those barriers of, of things that you realize uh similarities and such that uh, people have well, the thing that's a, um, sort of the grand illusion that we as adults have about school, about brick and mortar school, is that somehow students come together with students that are not like them and they learn how to navigate those differences and get along. If you walk into most schools in America, they're pretty segregated places still because they're based on geographic proximity, right? And so very likely the other kids in your first grade classroom in rural Wisconsin or inner city Philadelphia 
probably look quite a bit like you and are, um, have an awful lot in common with you. And that's great and wonderful, but you're not learning how to get along with people who are different from you. You're not even encountering people who have a different ethnicity, different um, social uh, socioeconomic background, different geographic background. These online schools are all about bringing incredibly diverse groups of students together um, and helping them find their commonalities and work out their differences. Um, one of the most touching things that I ever saw was one of our first uh, face-to-face field trips that we had in the state of Pennsylvania. We brought kids in from all over the state to go visit the state capitol in Harrisburg. Um, and we had a kid from Erie. We had a kid from somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, that that great land between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, um, and, and a kid from downtown Philly who had been working together on a project um, online for months, but they'd never met each other. They found each other. They met. You would these three students would never have crossed paths with each other in a brick and mortar setting because their communities were very different from each other and very far apart. They were fast friends, and I believe those students continue to be fast friends. Makes me a little hopeful for the future that we will get ourselves out of the polarized silos that we're in because we're engaging with each other across our differences. That's such a cool thought. It's such a neat thought, and it's. Uh... You know, it's, we got, I mean, cause it's, it's so affordable to just do this. I mean, like, you know, like, um, when I first started podcasting, um, the in-person podcast is what I did a lot, but then I was like, it, I can interview so many more people if I could just do it long distance. And so I, and so I did this, uh, you know, use this thing called Skype and, uh, um, and I've discovered that there were lots of people who didn't really understand cause Skype had its challenges, <laughs> <laughs> and uh being nice and uh, um and then it was early it was early on you know <laughs> yes exactly and then and then someone said to me um from who i was interviewing from the corporate world he said you know there's this thing because there were other ones that i tried and stuff like this but they yeah and then someone mentioned to me by the way i'm not sponsored by zoom but someone introduced me to zoom and before the pandemic so this is a couple of years before and i you know it was funny i'd have people say to me and, and what do i do I, I say i just send you the link and you just click on it and just make sure you got a microphone so we can talk and uh you know and it, it was funny because you know in the beginning it was a lot like that well now after the pandemic it, it, there's nobody says how do i use zoom no, you know no, no. and everybody has curated their backgrounds for yes, you and yes. everything so except me i just i just show whatever's back there so it, but yeah, it's uh, but yeah, they've done a, they get they, they have fun doing that too, and it's uh, but it it's it's such a cool thing because there's so many things that have become such um, standard of what we do. You know, something that you said earlier that uh, is really kind of neat. If you ever watch kids play online, where uh, they're playing some sort of a, a game that they have to achieve something, overcome a problem, solve something, get rid of the bad guys, whatever the, the thing is they have to achieve. A lot of times they're they're collaborating with each other with a little right. chat box somewhere and uh, talking about doing this, doing that, or, hey, would you stop doing that? <laughs> that type of thing. I'm trying to win this game. Um, and I think that, you know, lends itself to this type of uh, learning that uh, the adults that have not gone through this stage have, don't realize they they have this whole collaborative world out there. Right, Um, right, right. Well, and if you think about the world of work, okay, so your job involves collaborating with people around the whole world every single day. More and more, everybody's work involves that. Um, And so the other thing that we hear uh, from the graduates of our school is, A, when they get to university, 
um, they do really well because they're already independent managers of their own learning. Um, they don't have to wait for somebody to say, hey, it's time to go to your first period class now. Um, they know it's time to go and they go. Um, they keep track of their materials. They know how to submit things to Blackboard, whatever it might be. And then when they get into the working world, they're already used to working in virtual teams and to interacting with people across distance. And those skills are really important ones. Um, after post-pandemic, they may be much more generalized and universal than they used to be. Um, but we know that kids who have gone through a quality online learning experience have a leg up um, in success in that kind of environment. Oh, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's uh, it's pretty wild, though, how this has all come about. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, um, you know, one of the things I got to ask you about is, uh, you know, so the pandemic led to online learning, hybrid learning, you know, becoming a thing where people – Knew what you're talking about if you mentioned it. You know, before that, they would be going, huh? <laughs> you know? And, uh, uh, you know, what do you think is uh, online learning's place in education after the pandemic? You know, now, now, whatever world we're going into. So one of the things that I'm sort of hopeful about is that we seem to have gotten, we're starting to get beyond the binaries. By, and by binary, I mean, we're either online or we're face-to-face. Um, and during the pandemic, everybody who was face-to-face suddenly had to be online and they did it kicking and screaming and sometimes with grace and excellence and sometimes not so much. Um, and then the first minute they had the opportunity to not be online anymore, we're back to face-to-face. Um, and I am hopeful of that and I believe that we're seeing evidence that it's no longer a binary online or offline thing, um, but something that really combines those things together really well. There are so many opportunities in a brick and mortar classroom, in a physical classroom, for students to be accessing online content, um, online learning, engaging with students who might not be physically there with them. Um, The idea of a blended or hybrid school that like builds into the schedule Um, either students being on campus a few days a week and at home a few days a week, or if they're on campus every day doing some of their classes online and some in person, as well as within any given classroom, um, having a combination of online and face-to-face. The things that scare me that I hope we don't see a lot of is some poor teacher at the front of a classroom with uh, uh, 20 face-to-face kids and 10 online kids that they're trying to teach simultaneously in a specified time period, that's really hard um, and probably not the best learning experience. But combining uh, online and face-to-face within a given classroom, having students rotate around to stations where they're doing some online, some face-to-face, all these things were ideas introduced before the pandemic. But now I think people are Once they've gotten over the reaction of saying, thank God we don't have to do that online learning thing anymore, are starting to say, there's actually a lot of value in the personalization and engagement of quality online. How do we bring that into our regular learning environment? It'll be a while. I think it's it's going to take a while before um, what was kind of an ugly Frankenstein monster gets streamlined and uh, made elegant and um, can, you know, dance as opposed to lurch. Um, But we're getting there. Nice. I love the analogies too, by the way. That's cool. Um, Cause yes, it's, we went from kind of stumbling around to, uh, oh, we, we see some, we see where this is going. So I like that. That's good stuff. Uh, so uh, Mickey, what's next for you after Pearson? Oh gosh. Um, so I'm counting down the days here till my, my retirement. Um, it's the end of 2022. Um, and that's coming up really fast, which caught me by surprise a little bit. Um, I 
um, uh, sort of went back and got an MFA in creative writing about five years ago um, and have not had a lot of time to do my writing. And so I really want to spend time writing, including writing about exactly what we've been talking about today. I'm really eager to, in a deep way, dig into um, almost more from a parent and student point of view, how education has changed um, uh, with the advent of technology, online learning, the pandemic, the post-pandemic. And I think there's a lot of stories to tell there that haven't been told quite yet. So a bunch of writing projects. Um, I'm really thrilled to continue um, my board work um, with you know organizations like Brooklyn Lab Charter School and the Aurora Institute. Um, and then, um, you know, kind of keeping an eye on what's coming next. Um, there's a, there's always an exciting new idea that's just emerging over the horizon that could help us get closer to that holy grail of, of personalized learning that's um, highly social and supported, um, but brings out the absolute best in every learner. So I'll be keeping my eye out for those things and either advising, consulting, writing about, or otherwise being involved. Excellent. Well, wish you the best in all of that. And uh, um, Mickey, before we close, could you let everyone know where they could uh, connect and learn more? Sure. Um, connectionsacademy.com is probably the very best place to go. From there, you can see uh, information about our overall network of schools as well as individual schools. Um, you can sort by state and find out what's happening in your state. We also have a global private virtual school that serves students across the United States and around the world as well in about 70 different countries. So that's an exciting uh, wedge of um, students um, learning online, even outside a world like the United States where there is a publicly supported online option. Other countries are starting to perk up and take notice, but go to connectionsacademy.com um, and that's a good starting spot for everything else that you might want to learn. Uh, Pearson.com is also good because Pearson obviously has a broader purview um, than just uh, K through 12 uh, virtual schooling um, and online and technologies facilitated learning for learners of all ages and stages all over the world. That's what Pearson's all about, which is why Connections Academy is part of Pearson. Very cool. I'll have that information in the show notes. So it'll be easy for them to find, especially on the mobile or on desktop, whatever they can go find that and go check it out. So good stuff. I, uh, here we go. So uh, I got a couple questions just to ask you, and the, the question I like to ask my my guests, Mickey. So the first one goes like this: How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Oh, it's a such a great question, especially I'd say in the United States in the last ten years or so, education has been a little bit of a minefield. You know, there's been um, lots of arguing among adults around what the purpose of education is and what should be included and what shouldn't be included. And that can get kind of discouraging. Um, the thing that, that gets me going every single time is just uh, if I close my eyes, I can imagine the face of one of our earliest learners um, who is actually um, like a fifth grade boy with ADD who is also really gifted. In other words, every brick and mortar teacher's greatest nightmare, the kid who can't sit still, can't stop talking, can't quit moving around, but you know that they're brilliant. Um, and if you only find a way to address their learning needs in a really direct way. And our online schools in some ways were founded to meet the needs of that student. So when I get discouraged, I close my eyes a little bit. I remember Justin, I think 
I'm not sure what Justin is doing these days. He's probably a grandfather at this point. We've been at this for so long. Um, but, you know, getting him through school into a successful life kept me going every day for the time that he was with us and keeps me going every day since. Very nice. Excellent. Uh, last, la- last question I have for you, uh, Mickey. Do, do you know, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Oh, gosh, I have so many. I was like a little goody two-shoes student who like, you know, school was my life. I loved school so much and all my teachers knew it and they therefore loved me. Um, So I had lots and lots and lots of teachers who made a dramatic difference in my life. I would say um, my high school uh, English teacher slash newspaper advisor, Charlene Lewis, um, who was the first person who looked at me as as the adult that I would some, at some point become. Um, I was a you know 16 year old student journalist trying to like rabble rouse and break muckraking stories about what was going on in Bakersfield High School in Bakersfield, California. Um, and she never made fun of me. Um, she was always really supportive and said, writing really well, writing really clearly, finding the truth and presenting it to your community is one of the most valuable things that you could possibly do with your time. Um, I have since gone in and out of being a journalist. Who knows? Maybe I'm on my way back in again in my retirement. Um, But I thank Mrs. Lewis um, every day um, for making that feel like a really honorable path to follow and one that can make a huge difference in the world. That is so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Mickey, it was awesome talking with you. Thanks so much for sharing Connections Academy, your thoughts about EdTech, and all this good stuff about online learning. I love it. Congratulations on your retirement and wishing you the best in all you do. Thank you so much, Steve. Onward and upward we go. Most definitely. I like that. So uh, hang on one second. Let me disconnect from recording. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.